And welcome. This is Trent Nelson, and you are listening to Lay of the Land, where we talk about all of the things that are happening around Springfield, around Sangamon County, around Illinois, around the United States, even around the world. And we are joined today by Dr. Victoriana Schwartz, the ambassador with the American College for Preventive Medicine, the ACPM. So happy to have you on today, doctor. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. So, yeah, um, I'm Dr. Victoriana Schwartz, and I'm a public health physician, as you mentioned, ambassador for the American College of Preventive Medicine and their Vaccine Confident Campaign. Um, And I'm happy to talk about this area today. And we're so happy to have you. So let's jump right into it. With the school year quickly approaching, in some places it already has come upon us, Let's talk about the importance of making sure that, that our children are up to date with their vaccines and why that's so important for not only their health, but for the collective health of the society. Yeah. So, well, if you think about, you know, when children go to school, they're, you know, congregated in these settings, they're in the same classrooms, they're breathing next to each other, coughing next to each other, sneezing next to each other. And, you know, one of the best tools that we have today is the, the tool of a vaccine. So um, something that's usually a requirement for schools, for your children to go to, to, go to school, um, there's usually a list of required vaccines that they have to have unless you have some kind of exemption. And so when children do have these immunizations, they build up an, an immunity with antibodies to help fight off certain viruses, right? things that we don't really see today, like measles, for example. And so when uh, a good number of children are vaccinated and, you know, they're, they're in the school system, there's something called herd immunity. And so for those, like, let's say there's, you know, one student out of a thousand and that one student is immunocompromised and they weren't able to get the vaccines, right, to prevent whatever illnesses or diseases that are amongst that school population. Um, you know, if, 99% of the students are vaccinated and don't carry that virus or that illness, that one immunocompromised student that's in that school is protected. And so we can think about that within our society with the COVID pandemic, you know, that's not going to escape us anytime soon. It's going to be around for for probably forever. So if you guys can think about going back to March of 2020, it was kind of like a scary time. Like everything shut down, doors were closed. Parks, at least the park across the street for me, had yellow tape around it, like a child park, you know, a, a kid park. And and it was just like, what is going on? Like, it was just, it was such a scary time. And during 2020, going into 2021, you know, there, there was this push to get everybody vaccinated or else there are going to be a lot of deaths. And so, unfortunately, in our country, we promoted masking and social distancing and things like that. That was before the vaccines came out a lot of people were getting sick. You know, the disease, the COVID-19 was spreading. And so in the U.S., we had over a million people die during the pandemic. And, you know, some say they, they didn't have to die, you know, if they, if they got the vaccine, if we had proper social distancing, you know, to the extent where everybody was following that. But um, anyways, once the vaccine came out, that was largely beneficial to preventing people from getting so sick that they had to go to the hospital. Like, if we want to remember how 2020 and 2021 was, I mean, 
you know, the hospitals were becoming overrun. Everybody was going to the hospital with, you know, a runny nose, cold, especially if you had some kind of comorbidity. It was uh, it was a big deal. Absolutely. I'm, I, I, I've, I've talked too much. <laughs> no, no, no. You're perfect. You're perfect, doctor. We're, we're all ears and we're so happy to have you on on the program this morning because, again, I, I'd love to just echo the point that you just made. We forget things so quickly how uptight and tense and scared and devastated as a society that we were during that time period. And, of course, vaccination is our best tool to stop that from happening again. So what would you say to parents who are simply anxious about getting their children the vaccines that for many years caused little to no anxiety amongst parents? Right. Well, I would like to ask them what changed. And if they received the vaccine as a child, why wouldn't they want that for their own children? I think that a lot of the fear comes from misinformation. You know, the vaccine hesitancy, people think that receiving a vaccine is going to cause, you know, adverse outcomes that are irreversible. But we know that for many years, you know, research in vaccines goes back hundreds of years. So for many years, there is a trial and error. There's a lot of testing that's done. There's a lot of data that shows that today in 2023, there's a number of um, vaccines that are 90 to 99% effective for preventing diseases, you know, preventing polio. You know, there are some debilitating diseases out there that you should never, ever want to see in your child. So I think as a parent and as a mother of two children, you know, I think another thing that parents should consider is if they are not wanting to vaccinate their kid with all the necessary childhood vaccines that are listed on um, cdc.gov's website. Um, You know, you can get a a list through your pediatrician's office of all of the vaccines that are necessary in in the different age markers that you're supposed to get them at. But if parents aren't willing to vaccinate their children, I think that it's important to consider, okay, so what if my child gets sick? What if they get sick with something and they can't breathe? I remember... I know this is probably going to get off a little tangent here, but... Please. We love tangents here. Okay. (laughs) You should hear me talk about the first vaccine, the smallpox vaccine, that the gentleman discovered by noticing that milkmaidens had cowpox marks on their hands, but no smallpox marks on their faces. Yeah. One of my favorite stories. Continue, please. (laughs) I do love that story, too. (laughs) Um, With Dr. Jenner. Yes. 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 Um, so yeah, I guess I'm just thinking about when I was in medical school, you know, we do rotations in all these different departments, internal medicine, pediatrics, and being in the hospital on my pediatric rotation, you know, we, we did have the parents that would come in and their child would be very sick in, in medical school. And when you're training to be a physician, you, you learn how to make diagnoses based off of the clinical profile of the patient. So you're looking at the patient, maybe they're in a certain position where they can't breathe, you know, their hands are on their knees, a two-year-old, you know, and they're making a a sound, like a wheezing sound. And it's just like, it's the scariest thing to be a part of. And to know that this little person who can't advocate for themselves is suffering now on the other side because of decisions or lack of decisions that their parents have made. So, I mean, I I think about that a lot with my own kids. You know, I never want to put them in, in the situation where there's something that can be prevented and this is the best way that we have in today's society, in today's medical field, to prevent debilitating illness, disease, death, 
you know, like give a simple <laughs> vaccine, a simple shot in the arm or the leg for a child. And, you know, you don't have to worry about that. And another thing I was thinking about was not only if it, if it does get worse, for example, if your, your child has asthma and they have COVID and they can't breathe and they end up in the hospital, you know, you never got them vaccinated. They're, they're in the hospital. They're on oxygen. You're just hoping and praying and worrying as a parent, is my child going to be okay? Is my child going to be okay? And you have to hope and, and pray that we have all of the medications that it would take to save your child, Right. So that's like a kind of like a reactionary response sure. that we have in our society. You know, like what is the quick fix to an illness? Oh, it's to, to throw medicine at it. But really, the best way is to think about prevention and how you don't even get to that stage. You don't get to the stage of your child being in the hospital. And another thing as a parent that I think about that I want to prevent is having to stay at home. I mean, you're going from work to school, you're driving around, running around, and if your child comes down with something, such as COVID, you have to stay at home with them, you know? So that's lost productivity. You have to take vacation days, but what if you don't have vacation days or sick days? What are you doing, you know? So I think about that, and I, and I think that parents should highly consider vaccinating their children with all of the vaccines that we have listed, again, um, through your pediatrician's office or through the CDC. And just making sure that they don't get sick, you know, because that is time away from school for them. That's time away from work for you. That's everybody staying in the same household, possibly getting sick amongst each other. And I was just there, actually. I, this is another tangent. I'm sorry. I have a few tangents that I go on. Yeah, the COVID cases in our country are going up. Uh, the best way to prevent hospitalization and, and, and death and you know, worse outcomes is to get vaccinated, boosted with the COVID vaccines. But regardless, there are variants. And I ended up having COVID a couple of weeks ago. And so we all have to remember that the guidelines really haven't changed for quarantining and things like that or testing. I mean, so I had symptoms very similar to 2021 when I also had COVID, runny nose, stuffy nose, cough, and low energy, a headache that was atypical. I never get headaches. So that caused me to test. And then when I tested myself, it was like, oh, man, I have COVID. And as a doctor, you know, I'm, I'm putting my patients at risk. So I have to stay home. I can't go into the hospital. I can't see patients. That would be so disingenuous and such a disservice if I did that, right? So I stayed home. And then um, it came time to bring my children to school, camp. Um, my son goes to camp right now. And then he started having a runny nose, stuffy nose, a little bit of trouble sleeping at night because of this. I was like, oh, we, should, we have to test you. Right. So I tested my son, and he had COVID too. And then it was just like, oh, okay. So um, I have two children, and my daughter's daycare. And everybody, as a parent, you should you know, look into the rules for your school or your daycares because you know they put policies in place to protect the other children. And so I contacted the school for my daughter's daycare, and she was negative for COVID. And they were like, you know, you can't bring her to school because she's been around COVID-positive people. You have to quarantine. And so we all ended up quarantining for at least five days, you know, just isolating in the house. We played a lot of games, Candyland. Um, my, my kids are under, they're three and five, so a, a lot of games of stuffed animals, 
you know, a good amount of TV watching, unfortunately, but, you know, it was, it was what it was, and it helped protect the other children and whoever else we could have come into contact with, you know, from the teachers, the daycare staff, and I feel really good about that. It stinks that we had to stay at home and isolate for a period of time, but, it, you know, it feels good overall that we're doing what we can to protect others. Okay, I'm done with tangents. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sell yourself short, doctor. If you got any more for us, we want them. But again, I <laughs> I think that one of the most important things that I took from your multiple tangents is that lesson that our lives are not merely our own. All the things of which we take part in, others take part in. Hence, us worrying about our own health is, in fact, worrying about the health of, of our neighbors and our colleagues and our peers. Agree. I agree. It's so important to highlight because as you also noted so beautifully, our decisions are not even simply our own. Our decisions are our children's decisions. They're our neighbor's decisions. They're people we don't even know's decisions. It, when we go to the grocery store and we make that decision, all right, am I going to put all these strangers at risk to get hamburger meat? There's so much more seriousness in our everyday day-to-day life than oftentimes we'll take the time to consider and I really appreciate you taking the time to sit with us today, Doctor, and and explain some of these things to all of our listeners. Yeah, and I'm happy you brought up the hamburger meat because, (laughs) you know, that that reminds me of, you know, mentioning that everybody should mask up. If you feel like you have symptoms, you know, you're sneezing, coughing, and you're going out to the grocery stores, please wear a mask. Even a cloth mask will help hold in some of the particles that you may be spewing about. If you can get an N95, that would be even better. But I know that, you know, maybe those aren't as easily accessible to the general public today. So any type of mask, face covering, if you have symptoms, sanitize, 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 wash hands, do all of the protective measures that you were doing at the beginning of the pandemic. I think that we not only have like a forgetfulness in our society, but we just also have a fatigue. Like everybody is tired. Nobody wants to hear the word COVID anymore, but it's not going away. So we have to just do our part. It protects each other. You know, we are linked in that sense. So another thing, if I can go back to one of my tangential stories about when I was quarantining at home with my two kids and my mom wanted to visit. So my mom is over 65 years old. She has comorbidities, which means that she has diseases that put her at an increased risk for having really bad COVID. And so she wanted to come over and like help, but I was just like, no, I don't want you exposed to what we have. You know, I I want you to remain as healthy as possible and stay away, stay away until after a quarantine period. And so that was something that I just had to, you know, make boundaries for. And, you know, I hope that other people will do the same thing because age is a risk factor for having really bad COVID, you know, as well as diabetes, being immunocompromised for whatever reason, having heart problems, lung problems, the list goes on. Even obesity is considered a risk factor for having worse outcomes when you have COVID. So, you know, take those things into consideration and do your best to mask up, sanitize, wash hands. Thank you so much, doctor. And, And before we let you go, There is always so much talk about COVID, and you're right that there is a certain level of fatigue amongst the society. One might even say amongst the world's societies. It's not just in America, of course. It's it's all over the world. But I don't want us to lose sight 
as you had mentioned earlier in our discussion, about the very real other illnesses that exist on the fringes of our society because we, over the last 100 years, have done a fairly adequate job of keeping ourselves vaccinated, innovated, and and safe. What is your final pitch? You gave such a wonderful one before concerning children. What is the final pitch before we let you go for this back-to-school vaccination drive that we're we're speaking about? Well, I would like for all of the listeners to consider where they stand in their immunization history. Have you received all of the vaccines that you need to keep yourself safe before we enter the fall and go into the flu season, RSV season, and we're already having increasing cases of COVID. So, you know, we're looking at a triple-demic, they say. And I think you're thinking about infants or children, adolescents or adults, we all have to protect ourselves. And, you know, we have, we have amazing tools available. And one of the latest vaccines that is coming out is the RSV vaccine for older adults who may be high risk for having worsening disease that can lead to pneumonia and hospitalizations and things like that. So besides that, you know, for older adults, there's the flu vaccine that comes out every year. You know, as a public health physician, I have to advocate for the flu vaccine. You know, even if you got the flu, I mean, you did your part. It it gives you a peace of mind, you know, that you did your part. You, You got whatever medication we have at that time or whatever vaccine we have at that time. You know, every year the flu vaccine kind of changes, but uh, it can give you some kind of protection. So maybe you don't have um, as worse of an outcome um, and have to miss as many days of work if if you do come down with something like that. But um, yeah, so I advocate for older adults to get the RSV vaccine once that comes out. And then the flu vaccine every year, you know, generally the season starts in the fall. So that, that vaccine should be available soon. And okay, I was born in the 80s. And I had chicken pox. My siblings, I was the oldest of four, so I have two brothers. They both had chicken pox. And then when it came down to my sister, who's the youngest, she never had chicken pox. So she never had to suffer with all these itchy lumps all over her body. I remember having to take oatmeal baths. I was so uncomfortable. It was, it was the worst. And so looking back at when she was born, she was born after they came out with the varicella vaccine. And so if we think about what that vaccine has done for children today, my sister, my own kids, it has helped prevent not only chickenpox from spreading amongst the children in schools, but, you know, again, that's like the children being uncomfortable. If you have worse disease than just like the mild few spots on your body, it can be disfiguring. You can have scars for the rest of your life from chickenpox. So, can you imagine what we can do with just a simple vaccination and your kids don't have to worry about having that at all? So you don't have to worry about staying at home, being at home when they have their sick days from having chicken pox. You know, so it's like one less thing to worry about. And this ties into kind of like the importance of vaccines as an adult. And so for our generation and for everybody who had real chicken pox, you know, you got it all over your body, all those spots, you have the fevers and nausea and everything. Getting older, that virus actually, it stays in your body 
and it can be reactivated. And so when it is reactivated later on in life, after age 50, let's say, it causes a disease called shingles. And so going back to medical school and my rotations, you know, seeing people with shingles, not only is it debilitating, disfiguring, but it's incredibly painful. And that pain can last for years and years. So you can imagine you're over age, the age of 50, you're, you've been working your whole life, you're looking towards retirement, and now you have shingles. And once the um, rash goes away, you may have just chronic pain, chronic pain, chronic pain, like let's say in your rib area where you had uh, signs of the disease. And so that can go on for years. And, you know, one of the things that I advocate for my patients to get is the herpes zoster vaccine after age 50. So, you know, we were, some would say lucky or unlucky. I don't know. If you've had chicken pox, like the real deal, um, when you get to that age group of 50 and older, you should get the herpes zoster vaccine so you can prevent shingles. So that was kind of like um, roundabout to talking about RSV. So we can go back to RSV now. There's a treatment for kids. Sorry, there's no vaccine for kids. So everybody just like gets RSV by age two, and hopefully your body just wipes it off. It comes on like a cold, you know, runny nose, stuffy nose. You could have possibly a low-grade fever, decreased appetite, nausea, and then hopefully your body fights it and it goes away. There are a subset of children who can get really sick, and they're not able to breathe. They develop something called bronchiolitis, and they have to be in the hospital. They can end up with pneumonia. And so there's a new drug that's been approved by the FDA, and these are monoclonal antibodies. And so our bodies make antibodies to protect us against disease. And when you inject pre-made antibodies into somebody, they're protected for a period of time. And so this is what is being released for children who are under eight months old and those who are also born during that fall, winter time period where RSV is more prevalent. And so people who are at high risk it's, it's recommended, or children, uh, infants, sorry, infants who are at high risk, it's recommended for them to get this treatment. And it's a treatment. It's not a preventive uh, vaccine or anything like that. It's a treatment. And then lastly, we do have word of another COVID-19 booster that's coming out. And so I, I strongly advocate for everybody to hop on board and, and get that booster. I believe this would be the fifth one if you have been keeping up with all the COVID-19 vaccines um, and boosters. And yeah, if you have any questions about anything at all, the CDC lays out all this information very beautifully. So just go to cdc.gov and uh, you can find information on all of these different diseases and the vaccines. If you have any questions about the safety profiles, I mean, all these things are rigorously tested. Side effects are rare. And if there are any, it's usually just like a, a mild maybe like a low-grade fever, chills, that ha that has happened to some folks who get like the COVID-19 vaccine, for example. You know, you can just treat that with Tylenol. So yeah, if, uh, go to cdc.gov. You can find out a plethora of information about all of these things that we discussed today. And hopefully that can help give you the confidence to go ahead and keep yourself safe and your family safe and go into the winter being healthy and strong. Dr. Victoriana Schwartz, uh, the ambassador with the American College for Preventive Medicine, we are so grateful to have you on this morning to have a, a wonderful chat about the merits 
uh, the positives, the individual and social benefits of vaccinations. And one more thing for our listeners, I would say, I don't know if the doctor has read this book, but Pox in American History by Michael Wilrich um, goes into wonderful detail the outcry from the general population regarding the smallpox vaccinations, which eventually eradicated smallpox and tetanus vaccination outcry. And there are so many similarities and parallels to our own time period. And this book was written about seven years before the pandemic. So it really does provide some incredible insight and perspective on a lot of the things that you just mentioned, Doctor. And again, we're so thankful to have you on today. Thank you. Thank you. Our pleasure. Uh, Dr. Victoriana Schwartz, this is Lay of the Land. Trent Nelson, thanks for listening.